Two words that probably most of us would never associate is monk and cool. But that's like, without a doubt, the coolest monk in the whole world. I think we can say hands down. How many of you are just a little bit tempted to either go out and buy a donkey or, did I say it correctly, Pete, wherever you're at, a donkey or a robe? <laughs> I was thinking, how much simpler would our attire be if you just put the robe on every day? You don't have to pick anything. It's the same robe with a piece of rope around the waist every day. We would save tons of money. You're not interested, I can tell. <laughs> I hope, we, we rarely do something like, you know, put a whole song like that on I hope you took in the words we're going to show you little excerpts you know much much shorter week in and week out but the series that I'm starting in is called struggling and the reason is this during the past 18 months or so it's one thing that I keep hearing again and again and again and talking with people Randy man I tell you this this has been rough this 18 months I am I'm just struggling I'm just curious how many of you past 18 months and I'm kind of kind of you know focusing in on this COVID era you have felt like at some point, man, I am struggling. Just, just curious, going to see your hands. Okay, so we are, you know, all able to easily identify with that. So we're going to take five messages in this series, and you could hear by the words in the song, I'm going to try to convince you, because I know it's true, that struggling is not a bad thing. In fact, struggling is not an abnormal thing all the time. And that every truly good thing, you're not going to like this part. Does everybody know what the song said? Every true, truly good thing is born of a struggle. That's true. That's true. Now, for some of us, that's very bad news. Because our life philosophy, and we all have a life philosophy, it's in there somewhere, we just don't have clarity on it usually. Our life philosophy has somehow skewed our ideas about life, and we think, no, 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 no. When things are going well, when God's you know, favor is upon you, things move smoothly, and there shouldn't be any struggle. Everything just kind of flows, and there is some truth to that too, albeit it's not the whole truth. So let's start just warming our minds up. I wonder if any of these thoughts have gone through your mind in the past 18 months, and it sounds like, or it looks like by the showing of hands, it has. You maybe thought, I just don't like what's going on, or I don't like the way things are right now, or I don't like how I'm feeling. Maybe those thoughts or feelings have gone through you. Let's go on. Now, why? What lies behind these kind of thoughts, these kind of feelings? What lies behind our dislikes? We dislike circumstances. We dislike the way we feel. What's behind that? In other words, for us to dislike something, we must have an image of something that we do like, that we would prefer. Let's go on. We have images and desires and expectations in our minds. They're usually way in the back. They're not clear in the front. But the images of a preferred life some desires we prefer, some expectations of the way we thought things were going to go, they are there, and that's what provokes our dislike of certain circumstances. What we think could be and should be, we have within us some ideas about what we think could be and what we think should be, and if those things that we think could be and should be are not happening, well, then we're unhappy and we're struggling. Let's go on. Where do these come from? Well, they come from our philosophy of life. 
And every single one of us has philosophy of life. Philosophy of life is, is like I say, it's this thing to hard, hard to get your hands around sometimes, hard to articulate. Probably none of us in here have ever sat down and written out. And I'm not even advocating that, what our philosophy of life is. But I'm trying to say this. Spiritually speaking, you, I, we, we have this imprinted within us. And we're always comparing events to it. And we emote based on those comparisons. So let's, let's get a little bit of a definition. We all have a philosophy of life. Our words and our emotional reactions prove this. We're always reacting to our philosophy of life. If things go the way I think they should, I'm happy. If things don't go the way I think they should, I'm not happy. But it's based on a belief system that I have inside me, whether I understand what it is or not. Let's unpack a philosophy a little bit. A philosophy of life is an overall vision or attitude toward life and the purpose of it. I want to emphasize this last part, the purpose of it. Because some of us, without knowing it, the purpose of our life is simply to live as long as we can and to be as happy as we can. And, and that's a life philosophy or a purpose, part of a life philosophy, that will, that will leave you, leave me frustrated and will deprive us of the kind of developmental experiences that God, the Creator, intended us to have in this life. Let me go on, another definition. It's a set of beliefs about reality producing a set of expectations and best practices. In other words, your philosophy of life has given you an approach to life that you think is the best way to approach life. For example, some of you, without even thinking about it, life has taught you, you've developed a philosophy where you believe the best approach to life is to always be at service to other people, to, to try to go along, to get along, that kind of thing. And then there's others of you, you have developed a life philosophy where you find it keeping people back on their heels. So you're a little bit aggressive. You, you keep people uncomfortable because you have found that Life seems to feel a little safer like that. And that's just an example. Let me give you an example about a, what a philosophy of life is that will be easy for you to say, ah, now I know what you're talking about, Randy. Here we go. Murphy's Law. How many are familiar with Murphy's Law? It, it expresses a philosophy of life. Nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you expect. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And the worst, or and at the worst possible moment. Uh, so, so this is an idea, a simple illustration of what we mean by a philosophy of life. So, each of us come in here with a philosophy of life. It exists within us. Now, some of us, our philosophy of life is is flawed in that it's it's temporal, it's man-centered, it's been passed on us. Some of us have a a Christ-centered, eternal philosophy of life. But we want to look at how each of those evoke some struggle. So let, let's, let's get started. Struggling philosophically. That's what we're talking about today. Because of your philosophy of life, and you all have one, we all have one, we're going to struggle with various things in life. So let me share some scripture with you. Now, um, we're going to look first at struggling as a result of a man-centered temporal philosophy of life. Let me explain a little bit what that means. It means man-centered temporal philosophy of life is like this. You didn't choose when you were going to be born, where you were going to be born, how you were going to be born, what color skin you were going to be born with, what country, what era in history. You just know, like me, you came into existence. You didn't have much say about it. And you also know something else. You don't like to think about it. We don't talk a whole lot about it. It's not a favorite conversation piece. But how many of you in here know even you, as young as you are, and as handsome as you are, 
you're, you're dying, my man. Did you know that? We are all dying. How many knew that? Can I see your hands? <laughs> Isn't it grim? From the moment, from the moment that you, me, we, are, we were born, we're dying. How many of you think you're going to live to be 150? Can I see your hands? <laughs> you're optimist. Uh, most of us would say, nah, probably not. But we say, but man, you know, they're making breakthroughs and like that, and we're living longer and longer. Have you ever really thought about how pitiful a physical species we are? Go back to the Old Testament. Check some of those guys out. How many know the name of the guy that lived the longest in the Bible and how long he lived? Methuselah. Methuselah and how old? Nine, six, nine. 969 years old. My man lived 969 years, never went to a doctor in his life, never flossed. Now, that's healthy. I doubt that he ever had a cavity. <laughs> so we are not getting healthier, is my point. Uh, we are far less healthy. The closer to the original humans, the healthier they were. But anyway, that's a whole other message another time. So we, we tend, some of us, without even knowing it, we have a man-centered temporal philosophy of life. And the way that shows itself typically is like, man, I don't know how long I'm going to be alive, but I'm going to live as long as I can. We kind of instinctively, self-preservation, and I want to be as happy as I can. I want to have as much pleasure. We learn in life that certain things give me pleasure, certain things give me pain. I want to stay away from the pain. I want to get close to the pleasure. So we, we develop a philosophy. Self-preservation, self-gratification drives us through life, and we don't even know it, but that's how most human beings, the best, the brightest, everything in between, that's how most of us live. Now, this is a flawed philosophy of life but it brings with it you got to follow me now we're, we're going to look at a lot of scripture in fact i'm gonna just warn you <laughs> some of you you're you're gonna you're gonna read more scripture than you've read all week today this morning and some of you are going to read more scripture than maybe you ever have in your life because honestly it's okay some of you you drifted in here and you've never even read a bible you're not even sure what a bible is you're going to hear a lot from the Bible today. <laughs> so bear with me. Here we go. Romans chapter 1. We're going to spend a lot of time in Romans chapter 1. It says, the wrath of God, that, that's his displeasure. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness. Godlessness is just living as though God doesn't exist or he doesn't matter if he does exist. It's revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness what does it mean suppress the truth by their wickedness well human beings doesn't matter where you go in time doesn't matter where you go ge geographically in the world human beings no i don't want you to steal my stuff don't steal my stuff but yet we steal somebody else's stuff <laughs> okay human beings no i don't want you to lie to me i want you to tell me the truth all the time you tell me the truth but but i may not always tell you the truth in other words we know what is true we know what is right we know what is good to varying degrees God has put this illumination within us but we suppress the truth that we have because we don't let it guide our actual lifestyle that's what that verse is saying it's saying that, that human beings possess way more truth than we express and that suppresses that hides the image of the creator that, that's you know within every human being anyway they suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is what is that word plain. plain it's plain to them because God has made it plain to them 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, invisible qualities clearly seen. How? Being understood from what has, what does it say? Been made. God has given human beings the ability or the capacities for observation and reason. And this verse is saying that God, let me tell you what it's, what it's really saying. God is saying, there's no such thing as an honest atheist. God is saying to the atheist or the person who claims to be an atheist, I know that you know that I'm real and that I'm here. And so you can kid yourself and you can kid others, but God is saying, I know that you know because I made it plain to you. If you use your powers that I've given you of observation and reason, you know, you know that I'm here. You'll see as this verse unpacks more. Having him clearly seen being understood from what has been made, you see this massive creation with all of its complexity. Do you see dead, lifeless matter creating living, complex things? No. Do we see nothing creating anything? No, it's an impossibility. It's irrationality. Do we see intelligent, purposeful, living entities create complex things or other living entities? Yes. Observation and rationalization. We can take this further. Without a Bible, without even opening a Bible at all, human beings can not only know that God is there, they can also know that God is like Christ, that he is holy, that he is loving, that he is merciful, that he's compassionate, that he's the best and safest person in the universe. You say, come on, Randy, how can somebody come to that conclusion without a Bible? All right, we know that there's people on the planet, right? We, we, can, we can measure people. Some people are nice. Some people are nicer. Some people are nicer than the nicest. And we can use our imaginations, our God-given imagination, and we can imagine the nicest person possible. How many think if you really got alone for a while and use your imagination, you could imagine the nicest person possible? Can I see your hands? And so could every human being that's ever been on the planet except for somebody that's brain damaged. Well, what would the nicest person on the planet look like? Christ. And so just with imagination, just with our reason, just with our observation powers that God has given to us, we know that God is there. We not only know he's there, we know he's way better than us. We know he's a good God, a righteous God, a kind God. He's the best and the safest person in the universe. He would have to be the best because he created everything else. And evil is always inferior to good. Evil cannot even exist without good. You can't have theft unless somebody's earned something and, and taken care of it. So evil is always dependent upon good. It's inferior, therefore. So God, the being that created everything, would have to be the, the best of the best. All that's packed into this when, when he finally closes that and he says, so people are what? Without excuse. God says to the atheist, he says, I know that you know you just don't like me. That's what he's going to say as it goes on. Look at this verse. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's not that they didn't know that God existed. It's just that they didn't like the way he was. They disliked him. They distrusted him. They didn't want to feel accountability. They wanted to go their own way. Do their own. How many of you had a period in your life where you knew what was right, but you didn't care what anybody said? You wanted to experiment with some stuff. Can I see your hands? Oh, yeah. So we all understand this. It goes on, it says, therefore, because God knew they really didn't want to listen, they really didn't want to be bothered, it says, therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity tends to be the way it expresses itself most frequently. Now, sexual impurity, you have to understand what that, that term, in today's 
you know, we have to explain things like this. Sexual impurity is sexual activity that is outside the bond of marriage. Uh, it would include pornography, for example. It would include lots of other types of sexual activity. So it says, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. By worshiping created things, it means that I, I start unconsciously looking for my sense of significance and security and satisfaction from people, places, and things, from nouns, instead of from my creator, Christ. I, I, I look at you, for example, to give me a sense of value. That, that's foolishness or I look at you to be the one that's going to bring ultimate satisfaction to my soul or I look at you though, to be the one that's going to make me feel secure unrealistic that's what worship is the one we worship is the one that we're looking to for our sense of value or significance our security and our satisfaction and it says that we turn to created things might be a job might be people other things and it's, it's a, a, a life of darkness so what you find in these passages is this the problem with human beings philosophically tends to be that we have a disaffection for God. It, it, it is not that we are ignorant of his existence. It's that, that we just don't like him. And we, we don't like thinking that there is this real being that I am accountable to who holds the next tick of my heart, the next brain wave, the next breath. We don't like that thought. We don't like that, that feeling of being controlled. Disaffection for God, distrusting God, disinteresting God. It's what all those verses expressed. And that tends to be the drift that we have as human beings. Disaffection. Now, disaffection leads to a second cycle. But let me introduce that second cycle to you with some verses again from Romans 1. Now, before, before I go on, in fact, let's go back one time. Let's just, let's just stop right there. I asked this in the first service. I'm going to do the same in this service. Which kind of a doctor would you prefer? Would you prefer going to a doctor that examines you and finds that you have a very serious form of cancer? It, it, it's treatable, but boy, you better get treatment quick, and it's going to take radical treatment. Would you want to go to a doctor that when the doctor finds this about you, the doctor, even though the doctor knows it's going to upset you terribly, the doctor tells you that truth. Or would you rather go to a doctor that knows that you're going to be very upset when you hear that you have this potentially terminal cancer, and so the doctor doesn't want to upset you, doesn't want to say anything to upset you, wants you to have a happy day. So the doctor says, hey, you're fine. You're, good. you're, <laughs> you're a picture of health and just sends you out of the office. You say, well, Randy, that's just crazy. That's just, that's just stupid. Of course I want the doctor that's going to tell me the truth. How many, I'm just, I just want to make sure I'm not crazy myself here. How many want the doctor that's going to tell you the truth even though it's a truth you don't want to hear? Can I see your hands? All right. How much of God's truth do you want me to tell you? I'm sincere. What if I told you some portion of God's truth that you didn't like? What if I told you some portion of God's truth that you don't think society agrees with today? 
or, or I told you some portion of God's truth that personally affects your life, offends you or someone that you love. Would you still want me to share it or should I, should I just kind of hold that back? It's a, it's a very sincere question. Would you want me to share the truth even though it might be disliked, it might be a bit of a jolt, it might be misunderstood, it might hurt you or someone you love initially. The doctor's news would hurt initially. But you hurt to help, you hurt to heal. How many of you say, give me the truth and I want everybody else that I know that I love to know the truth too because if we live in delusion, that can never be a good thing. How many would say, give me the truth? Thank you. Thank you. We're going to turn a corner in that Romans 1 passage onto a very controversial, sensitive subject in the day and age in which we live. The, the opinions of society are quite contrary to what God the Creator is going to say. But, but bear with me just a little further, just a little further. This, this guitar over here, and I promise you whoever it is, I won't touch it. <laughs> but, but let's just pretend that I created this guitar. So I actually created the guitar. So I was on one of my many trips to ancient tribal cultures in the Amazons. No, I've never been there before. I'm a poor traveler, but I'm just, it's just for the illustration. So I, on one of my trips to the ancient Stone Age tribes in the Amazonian jungle, I leave behind the guitar that I created. I fly back to the States. Oh, shoot, I left behind my guitar, the special one that I created. The Amazonian ancient tribes people, they find the guitar, and they start saying, what is this amazing thing? Some of them bow down and worship it. They think it's something from a god or a goddess. Others pick it up, and they say, this is a good weapon of war. Others say, let's use this on our canoes, and, and they're, they're paddling with So they all get together, and their villages consolidate, and there's like thousands of these ancient tribal Amazonians, and I fly back realizing I left my guitar in the Amazon. So I get back, and, and I'm trying to explain to them, no, 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 it's not to worship. It, it's not a tool. It's not for war. This, is, this is only has one single purpose, and they all say, who are you to tell all of us? How can all of us be wrong, and you're right? Well, because I designed it. I created it. I know, I know what it's made for. I, I, I know what it's capable. It's capable, if you'll let me have it back and put some strings back on it, it's capable of making beautiful, beautiful music. Human sexuality was designed and created by God. And in the context of a committed marriage, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's meant to be beautiful. Outside of that boundary, it is a misuse. Now, now, it's not the only thing that God calls sin. It's not the only misuse. You're going to see in this Romans 1 passage, we're all on it somewhere, okay? Because the Scripture is honest when it says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But let me just get right to this passage because we need clarity today because we are being pushed into a corner. We're being made to feel guilty. We're being made uncomfortable clear we're, we're confused about issues so here we go here it is Romans 1 that is why God abandoned them remember it said that they they weren't interested in God they were had disaffection for him they didn't like him weren't interested that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires we think today that every desire I have is who I am and should be fulfilled no some of our desires are just plain shameful and I think on some level most of us know that even the women 
turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. I just want to ask this. Is that, is that clear? Does that, does that have any ambiguity in it at all for you? Or, or does that say what I think it says? It, it says that women were having sex with other women. I'm not trying to be crude. Is that what it says or not? Okay. And God calls these shameful, shameful desires. Well, well let's, let's go on. What does it say next? Next verse. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other, men did shameful, there's the word again, shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Here we have, and there's multitudes of other places in Scripture where God says, I didn't design sex to be man and man and woman and woman. But this is the most crystal clear description in all of the Bible. And you say, well, whoa, Randy. I mean, what about, I mean, man, what about tolerance? I mean, I thought Jesus loved everybody. I, I thought he accepted us as we are. Well, your doctor accepts you and I as we are, but if our doctor is good, he doesn't leave us as we are, right? The God who loves everyone has to tell the truth. And he says, this is not the way I designed human beings to behave. But Randy, what, what about gay pride and, and gay marriage? And I mean, come on, it's a new time. It's a new time in human history. But, but the designer says, doesn't matter what time it is. He's timeless. He's outside of time. He says, this, this is wrong. This is bad for you. It's bad for others. It's bad for society. You say, Randy, you don't get it, man. Like, I, I, got, a, I got a son. I had a son just came out. I got a daughter. She doesn't know what she is. She, she thinks she wants to be a man or is a man. Or I, I, I've, got, I've got friends. Some of my best friends are, are gay or and they're tra or they're transgender, they're confused, or, and am I supposed to just insult them now? You know, am I supposed to drop them as friends? Uh, what am I supposed to do with this? Exactly what you have been doing. I'm assuming if they're in your circle of influence, you're, you're kind to them, you're respectful to them, you love them, you serve them when you get an opportunity. But what you might want to start doing is praying for an opportunity that perhaps at just the right moment, God will give you just the right word in the right way to try to share something with them about Christ and the fact that the designer who loves us more than we love ourselves says that the, the path, the trajectory that you're going on is one that will ultimately leave you very, very dissatisfied and broken, ultimately. It's not. It's not what you think it is. It's not going to take you where you think you're going to end up and you can lovingly navigate this. It doesn't change anything, but, but speaking the truth in love in the book of Ephesians 4.15 is what we're called to do. Now, I, I'm belaboring this because we're living in a time where we're being pushed into a corner as Christians. And, and many who don't know the scripture yet, you're not sure about these issues. All you know is what the media says. All you know is what Hollywood says. All you know is what a, a bunch of untrustworthy pol politicians say. And, and I'm just 
trying to give you clarity on what the creator who loves you to the point that he went to a cross to prove his love for you what he says is the truth about this particular issue that our society is shoving down our throats and we're supposed to be affirming for it so let's go on to the next what we see is a a cycle of dissatisfaction when we reject God, when we have disaffection for him, when we don't like him, we start creating our own experimental paths, and even sexually, we just start experimenting outside the bounds because we're trying to get satisfaction in life, but you can't get satisfaction in life that lasts outside of the will of the creator. Let's look at yet a third cycle that comes. Romans 1.28, we're just picking right back up in Romans. It says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind a mind that doesn't function the way it's supposed to doesn't guide in a trustworthy manner doesn't think doesn't reason in a trustworthy manner anymore when you exclude God exclude his truth of course it it can't so that they do what ought not to be done it goes on they have become filled with every kind of wickedness remember I said earlier you'll find yourself on this list sooner or later see if any of these resonate that they describe you or something you've done at some point in your life. Certainly, I'm on the list. Maybe you find yourself too. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy. God says that even envy is, is, is not something for the human race. Murder, strife, that's just stirring up trouble. Deceit, being dishonest. Malice, that's ill will, wanting to see bad things happen to people. They are gossips. None of us have ever done that. They're, they are slanders. That's where you, you criticize somebody ruthlessly. You always, dis, you know, always talk about them in the most negative light. God-haters, insolent. That's the person that's disrespectful to somebody that's perhaps uh, an authority figure. Arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Certainly no one in this room has ever done that. Let's just go right on because we've never done that one. <laughs> They have no understanding, no fidelity. They're not faithful. You can't count on them. No love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve, that must be a mistake. What the heck is that word? Death. Wait a minute. God, you say just because I'm envious of somebody, I deserve death? Well, let's go back to that homosexuality thing maybe that deserves death but my envy my greed because I'm greedy God you say I deserve death you have to understand God looks at life from the standpoint of the way he intended it to be to have a a world to have a universe full of harmony and happiness and peace and safety all the time none of these traits can be allowed He looks at these things differently than us. He loves us. He wants to cleanse us of these things. He wants us to learn to struggle with him against these things that are within us. They don't exclude us. But he sees these things very different than we do. Those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. That's what society is trying to do to us now. It's trying to tell us, We must approve of those that do things that God says should not be done. And we think that's what you do when you love somebody. You affirm whatever they want to do. No. 
No, if we love somebody, we affirm the truth to them. We do not affirm something that we know is counter to God's truth because that means it's ultimately going to be destructive to them. Why would anyone who cares about somebody affirm them in something that's going to ultimately hurt them and hurt those that are connected with them? That's not love. That's just, that's just weakness. That's just enablement uh, of people that maybe have confused ideas. Why? Why further their confusion? So this, he's showing, leads to tremendous uh, disintegration, if I could go on. So follow this cycle. First, people knew God, but they didn't like him. They had disaffection. They just didn't like him. They didn't trust him. Then that led to dissatisfaction, experimentation, homosexual behavior is one, only one manifestation. There's lots of manifestations. And, and then it leads to disintegration, societal disintegration. So when we have a man-centered, temporal uh, philosophy of life, these are the kinds of things that develop. So we're going to still struggle, but we're going to struggle with things that are not profitable, but they're not necessary. We can struggle against God's will, against reality, or we can struggle within the context of God's will. So that's where I want to kind of turn the corner now. So let's get on the other side of the equation. Struggling as a result of a Christ-centered eternal philosophy of life. Notice, though, you don't get out of struggling. There's no system. Listen, how many have ever read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2? Can I see your hands? Okay. That was the only time in human history when there was no struggle. As soon as you get into Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve break trust with God, every single human being that's ever lived since then inherits a world full of struggle. Life is never going to be without struggle. We can struggle against God or we can struggle within the context of his will. But you cannot, I cannot escape struggle. That's why the song said, struggling, I'm not so sure that's a bad thing. Every good thing is born of a struggle. So let's, let's look at the other side of the equation. We struggle as Christ followers. Some of us in here, we've put our trust in Christ and because we trust him, we are following him fully and freely and we're gonna follow him forever. We started out, we didn't know God's will on a bunch of things. We just knew that we trusted Christ. And so whatever he says to stop, we think, okay, Lord, you say that's not good. I'm not going to do it. He said to start, learn, do this. We say, okay, I've never done that, but I'm going to do it because we actually trust him. Trust or faith in Christ always demonstrates itself by uh, a willingness to obey, to do, to follow what, what he says. But we live in a decadent civilization, and that brings struggle for us. How many of you sometimes just the... I'm just going to use a churchy word. The sheer sinfulness and evil of the world we live in and the things we encounter, it just makes you struggle sometimes inside. Can I see your hands on that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes just the, the, the latest news report. So we live in a decadent society, and that causes struggle. 2 Timothy 3, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times when the last days I did a whole series just just some months back called what's going on and in that series I announced and I stick to it that we as a civilization have passed a turning point uh, a tipping point and that things will never ever again be the same things will never get better things are going to get worse the terrible times that he talks about and the last days that he talks about you and I are in those days. We are living on the precipice of the return of Christ. 
And Scripture clearly teaches. And I did a whole series on it to, to try to you know, help us to be prepared for that. But because we live in terrible times, it causes us to struggle. Now, I'm going to have to address some subjects here that, that are not going to be comfortable once again. And, and I have recently a message. In fact, some of you are thinking, Randy, it just seems like, man, you, I don't know, you've like turned a corner in the past two, three weeks, and you just kind of keep hitting these, ringing that same bell. Is this what it's going to be from now on? Have you changed? Has the church changed? No, you're going to see, in fact, next week I'll be speaking on another subject, sharing the full counsel of God. That's, that's what I do. That's what I've done for, you know, 35, 36 years of my life. But we are in an urgent sort of a situation today because there are certain people that can't protect themselves that are in danger. I'm just curious. If you lived across the street from somebody and you knew, you absolutely knew they were abusing their child verbally, physically, mentally, emotionally, you knew it. Would you mind your own business, stay silent, or would you try to do something about it? How many would try to do something? Can I see your hands? All right, almost everyone. But we'd all fight the same temptation. We, we don't want to get involved and stick our nose in somebody else's business. But if we saw a child, we, we'd say, no, the, the, line, the line has been drawn. I, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to, but I, I have to. I have to. I have turned a corner and addressed some issues the past three, four weeks because children are in the firing line right now. I'm not going to stand by. I would be not a good servant to you guys if I didn't try to alert you and arm you, equip you to some degree to understand what is being done and what, it, what, what, the, what the goal is to do to children. Some of you have small children in school. Some of you have grandkids. You need to know. You, you, need, you need clarity. I want to give you clarity. You can hate me for it if you want, but I'm trying to help, and I would be a poor shepherd if I didn't address these issues. I'm not going to address these again and again every week. That's, some of you have been around for years, decades even. You know that's not who I am. But I am going to address these issues because God has made it clear to me we've drawn, we've drawn a line in the sand as Christians, as Christ followers, where we've got to be ready to stand. And we are not going to be liked. Yeah. Thank you. We're not always going to be liked and we're not always going to be understood. In fact, we're probably going to be maligned uh, a great deal of the time. All right, but you agree that when it comes to a child safety you, you just you have to take action you can't sit back all right I want to I want to share something with you I've only shared about two or three books in the whole 30-year history of this church that I've advocated I want the whole church to read this book I'm literally begging you we, we got about 50 copies I don't know how many they bought up in the first service they're, they're gone oh they're gone all right, so you've got to go somewhere and order it then. Um, here it is. It's called We Will Not Be Silenced. We, we'll try to get some more copies because I know how you guys are. You'll go home and eat a ham sandwich and forget all about this. <laughs> You'll mean to do good, but that doggone ham sandwich will just blank your mind right out. Uh, it's called We Will Not Be Silenced by Urban Lutzer. Urban Lutzer, good guy, pastor of Moody Church for 36 years. But, but I am begging you. You're going to read things in here that you're not necessarily going to like, but I am begging begging you to open your mind and heart and get this book and read it for the sake of children your children your grandchildren folks listen let me just two subjects real quick your children whether you like it or not it's coming 
It's already happening. They're going to be taught gender fluidity, okay, that the child has to decide what gender they want to be or are. Um, for all of human history, 108 billion people have ever lived down on this planet. You know how you decided your gender? You found something that gave a reflection, and you looked at yourself, and you found out, I'm a boy. Or you ask mom and dad, you know, if you really needed help. It was, it was beyond the pale of rational thinking, and it is beyond. Listen to me carefully. It is beyond the pale of rational thinking to put into a child's mind that they have the ability, much more than necessity, to decide their gender. They are what God made them. The only question is, will they appreciate it and accept it? That's the truth. And you're, and you're not... You're not you're, I know we want to affirm people. I understand that. We don't want to offend anybody. We want to affirm them. But when we affirm this kind of insanity, how many of you know what, what mass psychosis is? Have you ever heard of it? Human history has had places where mass psychosis, Nazi Germany is a good example, mass psychosis, where brilliant people all were rallied around some flawed ideas and did crazy, terrible things. The Salem witch trials are another example. But all through, we are going through a period of mass psychosis now. In our better moments, we would have known this is insanity for someone to actually have a conversation. I feel like I'm a man today, but I'm actually a female to everyone's view. This is ridiculous. Let's stop treating it like it deserves respect. It doesn't. I'm not saying disrespect the person because people that are having real struggles like this, we need to love them. We need to be sensitive. But we need to treat them like what they are. They're confused. They need help. Okay? But for ourselves, don't, don't tolerate this. Don't be silent. And for God's sake, don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking that your child needs to or can choose their sexual identity and now they're telling these kids little bitty kids anywhere between 9 and 27 different sexual identities to pick this is the slaughter of the innocent we can't allow this folks if your kids are still in public school you you need to find a way to know every day if possible what's going on in that classroom I, I'm so sorry to have to say this but it's just reality the second thing that's being taught and it, it is a hate-filled Marxist teaching is critical race theory critical race theory is teaching little bitty children to be racist you say Randy how can that be okay well critical race theory teaches this you do not judge somebody by the content of their character you judge them by the color of their skin that is the definition of racism any sane rational person knows that we can't, we can't let this happen to our kids. They are not equipped to deal with this. Kim shared a story with me from Corey Tinboom's life. She, she's a lady that survived the Holocaust, Hitler's death camps. Uh, her sister died in there. But one point, uh, you know, Corey asked her dad, you know, she was reading the Bible with her dad, and she came across a portion of Scripture where it talked about sexual sin. And so she's just a little girl, but she asked her dad, she said, what, what is sex sin? She didn't even know how to pronounce the word. She thought like they ran together and he didn't answer her she was used to him always answering her bible questions 
So he said, Corey, get, 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 get that bag down. So he, he took this bag down. They were on a train. It was a big suitcase with a lot of his uh, clock parts and things in there. He, he worked with clocks. He says, Corey, carry that for me off the train. Well, she couldn't budge it. She's a little girl. Too, she said, Dad, it's too heavy. I can't lift it. He said, that subject is just like the bag. It's too heavy for you now. You need to get older and strong. Our kids are not capable of dealing with this stuff. Listen, man. School should be about the old stuff, reading, writing, and arithmetic. It shouldn't be about ideology of any kind. And I feel guilty because, you know, you guys, you're up against something that, frankly, most Americans have never been up against. But this is why I'm begging you to read this book. You need to understand where this kind of stuff is coming from, what it's leading to, what its goal is. You say, Randy, are you preaching politics? No, never. 30 years, any of you that know me, I, I, I don't do that, but I am talking about issues that we cannot escape from anymore, and we've got to understand, and we've got to be willing to stand. So if you, if you hate me after you read it, that's okay. I'm, I'm hateable. I mean, that's, that's all right. Um, Thank you. So the first thing is we are going to struggle because we live in a decadent society that's going to become increasingly uncomfortable for those that love God and love righteousness. That's just true. Secondly, we're going to struggle because of a difficult transformation that we're called to. You know, you've probably met some people like me that um, they, they can tell you everything you ask them about health and physiology and, and you know they know all about exercise I mean any of us you can go on YouTube man you can find any kind of workout routine you want right you, you, you can learn you can memorize YouTube workout routines you can buy books all about you know exercise and healthy eating and all like that but if you spent three years watching all the YouTube videos and reading all the books about, about health and, and how to exercise like that would it change you any? <laughs> no change you up here maybe you'd know what you could do but to actually experience physical transformation you have to do it right you, you have to do it you've got to start actually eating the diet you've got to actually start doing some kind of exercise so so when it comes to spiritual transformation it's the same way it takes struggle it says to us in the new testament it says put that old self of yours to death that's pretty violent language it says put off your old self put on your new christ-like self this is action stuff difficult transformation we must accept that god calls us in this life to struggle he wants us to truly so love righteousness that we will struggle to root out the evil that is in all of us and replace it with the righteousness and then there's this James just reminds us he says consider pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds it's trials and enduring trials that often produces the Christ-like character you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature that's Christ-like and complete not lacking anything this life is a developmental journey but we don't develop if we don't struggle okay lastly delayed gratification we struggle as Christ followers because of this concept of delayed gratification I shared this in the first service 
How many of you ever went to one of these all-you-can-eat places? You know, like you want to get Alaskan crab legs or maybe, uh, I don't know, lobster or shrimp or something, something you can't usually afford. So you go to one of these places, and there's like, tonight, special, all-you-can-eat, you know, Alaskan crab legs or something. How many have ever done that before? Okay, so I'm not touched, talking crazy here. So when I have done this in the past, okay, so you go to these places, and the first thing you do is say, well, sir, can I get your drink order? And they bring out like this thing of, I, if you order some iced tea or Pepsi, you know, like the size of a bathtub. And then, and then, then they offer you the most tempting thing on the planet. They are called hush puppies, <laughs> right? And they are delicious. It's not just cornbread. There's something hushing in that cornbread. And once you eat one, you cannot stop. There's no way. So when I would go to these places, they bring out the hush puppies and, you know, people sitting at the table, oh, Randy, you want? Nope. <laughs> nope. Not even one, one hush puppy? Nope. Nope. I wouldn't drink the drink. I, I kid you not. I would not drink the drink. Wouldn't need delayed gratification. I was going to get so stuffed on lobster tail or Alaskan crab legs that when I got home, I'd have to sit up like this for three or four hours. I couldn't, how many have been so stuffed that you can't even go to sleep? You gotta, you gotta just sit up like that and you say, oh God, I'm sorry. I was trying to get my money's worth. I was trying to be a good steward. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Delayed gratification. It's hard. It's really hard because we want it all and we want it what? Now. There's, there's a, a basis for this. We still have heaven in our minds. We, we, we know that we were created for a beautiful, wonderful life, perfect people, perfect relationships, perfect environment, perfect experiences. So it haunts us. But we're told it's there. It's going to be forever. But we're told to wait. Romans, once again, Romans 8.23, it says, And we believers also groan. You don't groan unless you're struggling with something. We groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new what? New bodies that he has promised us. Now, some of you are too young to appreciate this. <laughs> Some of you know where I'm coming from. How many of you are wearing out some parts like me and you could use a new body? Can I just see your hand? You youngsters, you laugh now, but you'll, you'll understand someday. <laughs> new body. What's it going to be like? Well, it's like Jesus' resurrection body. When he rose from the dead, he could be material, but he could be dematerial. He could go through walls. He could eat fish if he wanted to, but he didn't have to. And it's a body that there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain or, it, you know, pain, or death. It's going to live forever. It's going to turn on all the lights up here. We're going to have so much horsepower that it would shock us now. Take the best and the brightest human being on the planet now. We will dwarf them once God gives us the new resurrection body, turns on all the lights in these minds of ours. But he says, you've got to wait for that. And, and, and while we're waiting, we groan. We groan because... Sometimes we've got all these bad habits that have rooted themselves even in our bodies and we groan with physical pain and illnesses of various sorts. And God says, you just gotta wait. It's gonna be worth it. It's, it's there, it's real. And this is what gets hard for you and I to live as though we are eternal beings 
time makes us where we're, we're, we're just kind of in a state of frenzy. We, I got to get it all. I got to get it now. I, I'm not able to delay my gratification. I think, man, you got to get that bucket list filled and all these kinds of things. But if I know I have eternity, I can slow down. And I can take a breath and I can wait. And stuff that Jesus says like deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's like, okay, okay, I'm growing and but I, I know that's the right way for this life. You see, as Christians, we are literally risking our life on the promises in the resurrection of Christ. He promised us eternal life and new bodies that will endure for eternity. And we're saying, you know what? I trust you so much. I'll delay gratification. I'll deny myself in this world because I know you keep your promises. So, we struggle though because of this now now let me close I've gone really really long and you've been very very kind and patient and I won't go this long all the time I hope anyway (laughs) Um, we're going to leave here struggling we're either going to struggle in an unprofitable unnecessary way because you know we don't really like God or we don't really trust him and we're fighting we're struggling against his will we're trying to get life to work without really doing his will we're we're still convinced man I I can make it work for me I'll be satisfied I'll be fulfilled I won't really enter into a disintegration cycle and that won't work you'll see just give yourself some time you'll see and then some of us are going to leave here we we put our trust in Christ we are his followers so we're going to have to leave here though with a frame of mind that means I have to be a struggler but I am struggling as a follower of Christ for something that is profitable developmental and necessary can't grow without struggling doesn't happen not God's methodology so there was a part of that song that I want to put on the screen we're going to put it here this service we put it on there of the service remember this every good thing is what does it say born of a struggle do you believe that I mean you can think back in your life of some things that you've accomplished or habits or learnings you've acquired skills every good thing is born of a struggle if if you and I believe that by the way and I think God's word in fact I know God's words teaches that if you believe that every good thing is born of struggle can we have some fun as we close I'm going to say every good thing is and if you believe it you come back like a roaring thunder and say born of a struggle can we try it? Every good thing is. Oh man, you got I'm not even going to ask you to do it again. You guys are so good. <laughs> Thank you for your patience and kindness. Please get the books. I'll remind you again. I'm sorry we ran out of them. Uh, let's pray. Father, we're going to need courage. We're going to need wisdom. We're going to need tenderness of heart that only your spirit can give to us. May it be so in each and every one of our hearts. And Father, if there's anybody here that this has been a jolt, this has been a shock, this has been confusing, may your spirit continue to speak with them that they will at least speak with me and give me a chance to try to explain further. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.